0: 15 year career, what are some of your more memorable matches that stick out to you? I'll have to definitely say Bret Hart. Right. I mean, uh, you know, um, I have some great matches with Scott Hall, Bret Hart. Bret Hart's probably the standout. Of course, Hogan, you can't leave him off a thing or flair. Right. And uh, um, uh, one guy never got to wrestle with Macho Man, but I'll tell you, out of all the matches, I'd have to say uh, my best match would probably be with Bret Hart. I think pretty much same chemistry, same age almost, and uh, same background, and the same. Uh, Thinking way into business, you know. Right, right. Even even five, six years later, people still talk about those matches. Yeah, man. And and, uh, I went into that match when I lost that uh, Intercontinental Belt to him. I was already done for two months. My back was so bad I couldn't even uh, hardly drink my third beer. Right. Uh, So, but I went out and did it, and um, so I I have a good thing with Bret Hart forever. Yeah. Um, in fact, somebody told me uh, he put my name in a little quote for me in his book. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Brett, Brett thinks very highly of you from from what I could see. If you book. want to charge me, you one of them. I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's a way of the business. Good match. I love that. For you he asked me if I, I could pick one guy to wrestle. Like I had to go in right now and wrestle him. Kurt Henning. Every night, every time. He was, he was um, I said it in my book. I said it was like spy versus spy there's mad, mad magazine you know the two spies we were just like that and we could we were always such great chemistry and, and a lot of humor we always had a lot of, a few laughs every night in the ring that people were never aware of where he was always a lot of fun i can remember lots of time doing all kinds of things like drop kicks and clotheslines, and i'd be laughing my head off trying not to show that i was ready to fall over laughing He was always uh, a funny guy. Now, Intercontinental Champion. Did it right, Mooney. The greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. History will be made tonight. Excellence of execution versus perfection. Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect. Well, Bret the Hitman Hart, the Intercontinental belt says wrestling champion on it. And for you to be a champion, you have to be perfect. You are excellent, but you're not perfect. There's only one Mr. Perfect, and you're looking at him. Coming up, a battle for the Intercontinental title. Let's go
1: back to ringside. You're listening to the New Blood Rising podcast. Thank you so much for it and download on this special edition of the podcast, this impromptu series that we have called The Perfect Tens. I'm William Rinkin, and today what we're going to be looking at is, well, I guess let me start back. What we're doing with the New Blood Rising podcast is, of course, we're trying to find ways to get more content out there in between our big shows here in Season 5. Obviously, Season 5 is all about From Sting to Hogan. The Perfect Tens was this way that we could still find a way to get some wrestling content out there that didn't necessarily connect, it might, depending on what someone picks, to Season 5. But I wanted each of us, and you're going to... Hopefully, here in uh, in the next few episodes, here Jason and then Charlie as well, talk about what they consider to be these perfect tens. So, obviously, what we're talking about are matches. I thought it'd be fun to be able to take an episode and just talk about one match, one match that we think is considered a perfect ten. You've heard us on the show when we've done ratings of matches. The ratings are, I, I'll be honest, I I, I don't rarely I rarely keep track of my ratings of, of matches after the show. Once the show's done, those notes kind of go away, and that's that. Um, I think those that maybe follow the show more closely can examine those m- where we kind of generally lie. I always made the joke that I I I, <laughs> I rate every match for the most part a 5, with the occasional maybe, ooh, there's a 7 or a 4 or something like that. But there have been a few down the line that I've given out as a as a 10, and I thought it would be fun just for us to talk about those matches that we consider to be perfect tents and sort of the sequence looking at the background coming into the match, the match itself, and then the aftermath and kind of the legacy and why we picked it as such. This week for this episode, I'm selecting what is really a no-brainer. You all have heard me talk about this match um, at length before. Maybe not so much at length, maybe just in a few parts here and there. This one's easy. My first perfect ten that I'm going to put out there is Bret Hart, versus Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental title from SummerSlam 91. I think, you know, everyone's criteria for a perfect 10 is different. And honestly, when I can, if I have multiple perfect 10s, I can't necessarily say that they, they each hit the same exact criteria. It's one of these weird organic things. It's like when you figure out, or when you're trying to answer the question, who's the greatest, right? Well, it's easy sometimes in some sports, like basketball, the greatest is Michael Jordan. That in the last few years it's been debatable if LeBron James actually is the greatest, but I I th- I think in some ways when it comes to sports like football where it's not as easy to figure out who the greatest is, I think it's it's such a bad answer. I think you know it when you see it. You just know it. There's something there. There's something that just you can't really you can't really put context or maybe put structure around it. It's just great. Like, my favorite football player of all time, who I think is the best football player ever, is Walter Payton. He only won one Super Bowl. He wasn't always on very successful teams. But there's something about when I watch him play, I'm like, that's the greatest football player I've ever seen. There's just things that he did that I don't, I don't know how you explain them. Then again, I don't know necessarily how you compare them. But I just know when I watch him, that's something incredibly special that is not duplicated in anybody else. So let's get back to wrestling here. This match for the Intercontinental title between Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart, one of the things that I have to say immediately is it's a nostalgia pick for me. When I was younger, my dad taped WrestleMania 7 and SummerSlam 91 off of pay-per-view because I was... Really young, there was no way I was going to be able to watch this show in its its live viewing. So he'd tape them for me, and I'd watch them the next day or so. We would talk about them. Um, I definitely remember that those those ninety one shows are really good. The I, I think sometimes they kind of get lost in the annals of history. Uh, WWF in nineteen ninety one is pretty good stuff, and particularly the particularly SummerSlam ninety one, which may be one of my favorite pay-per-views ever. I think it's so let's talk about what um what's coming into this match, where are each guy's at. Mr. Perfect, Bret Hart. So let's start with a champ. Mr. Perfect at this time period is probably a top five WWF wrestler. And that's tough. And maybe some people disagree with that, but I think like in terms of overall character and performance. He is one of the absolute best uh, in the company, without question. So, coming into SummerSlam 91, if we just backtrack over the course of the last year, even, you know, maybe back some time before that, when Mr. Perfect came in with the gimmick of Mr. Perfect, he was undefeated for a long time and he lived up to the gimmick with the way he wrestled. Everything was pristine. Every single move was just, well, perfectly executed, all the way up until that perfect plex. And then he would lock it in one, two, three. But at the same time, like his Intercontinental Championship win after the warrior vacates it in the aftermath of WrestleMania six, it's a title win that I think changes or begins to change what the Intercontinental Division or Intercontinental Title Storyline means and the person carrying it, who they are in terms of stature in the company. When he gets that title, it's interesting because he doesn't carry it that long before he drops it to the Texas Tornado. But then, you know, that title doesn't stay on Carrie Von Erick very long before it's in the fall that, I think it's actually, is it? No, it's in the fall that Mr. Perfect reclaims the title. But then sets up one of his quintessential storylines, I think. And it's interesting because it's not necessarily like it was this big blood feud, but with Mr. Perfect being part of the Heenan family, his big arc heading into WrestleMania Seven was he's the last line of the Heenan family to take on the big boss man. So when you go back and look at the big boss man, from 1990 going to 91, the boss man was just running roughshod, taking out member after member of the Heenan family. Which inevitably led him to Mr. Perfect. That was going to be the big final moment. The big boss man's going to take the IC title off of Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam. That's one of those feuds that I don't think gets a lot of play or a lot of talk when you talk about WrestleMania 7. Obviously, 7 is, uh, is surrounded around Hogan versus Sergeant Slaughter with the whole Iraqi war storyline. You also have the Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man for. The career-ending match, that was a huge blood feud that those guys had. And then right behind it really is this feud that's been going on for months with the big boss man and the Heenan family. And again, also underrated is the fact that the big boss man was like, right up there as being one of the biggest faces in WWF. So it really did seem like at the time, if you're a fan, that this is going to happen. Boss Man's going to take this title off of him. And in hindsight, it was probably good that it didn't happen. I think Bossman wins the match by disqualification. And it sends Mr. Perfect into an interesting spot because he's the champion, but behind the scenes, things are not looking great for Kurt Heading. His back is in terrible shape. Bad enough shape to where he pretty much is off the grid wrestling-wise after WrestleMania 7 all the way up until SummerSlam. So there's some question marks there. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about Brett. Brett the Hitman Hart, coming into 1991, is once again part of the once again a tag team champion with Jim Neidhart and the Hart Foundation. His career up to this point in the WWF has been defined by his role and his success in the Hart Foundation, which isn't bad. But and you'll hear me reference this quite a bit. I'm uh, reading Bret Hart's book in the. Uh, Mid to late 2000s. Well, I guess I read it in 2010 is when I finally got down to read it. 2009, actually, I think is when I did. I read it in 2009. When you read Brett's book, there's a lot of talk throughout there about getting to the next level. His quest to get to that next level. And everything he was trying to do to impress Vince McMahon, to make him believe that he was a legitimate single star in the company. And it's interesting because a lot of what Brett writes in there is what you'll hear echoed years later when CM Punk has his podcast with Cole Cabana. And it's a lot of that same talk of what does he need to do? How does he need to prove himself so that he can be on that in that that highest tier of the company? And for Brett, it seemed like for years, it was not even necessarily false starts. It was like these promises that weren't necessarily kept or the goalposts were pushed back. It did not seem like... There were, it was in the cards for him to get that singles push that he really wanted. But then finally in 91, when you, when you get to WrestleMania 7, you see the Hart Foundation drops the titles to the Nasty Boys, and it's pretty much the end of the Heart Foundation, or at least that incarnation of them. Brett then is set up to go out on the singles run, which is really good timing because by the time the Heart Foundation breaks up, they really are at, at as close to the peak of their popularity as, as they could be. A combination of the look the music the wrestling like it was all really hitting at a really high level for nightheart and brett and brett in particular was really starting to stand out as being a really great wrestler one that the the fans were starting to connect to but that doesn't matter like until like you're really being positioned in in you know high quality storylines, which to this point brett really didn't have as a singles competitor so as as he writes, like you know, going through those that period of '91 after after WrestleMania, he was pretty much like putting out there he wanted to take he wanted to be the IC champion to Vince. Well, it's very fortuitous because right around this time period, as we talked about, Mister Perfect's back injuries are starting to add up to the point where he's no longer going to be able to carry that that division. And it's interesting because this match does not have. A tremendous amount of heat really behind it this isn't like your typical your typical Big Four title match where you've got you've got guys have got a feud brewing that have had it for some time and it's time to settle it you know nowadays like these are matches that are set up on Raw or SmackDown they carry on for a few weeks they pay off at a pay-per-view or it's a major storyline point at a pay-per-view that will continue on you get the picture but it was interesting because this match is actually second on the card. Which for the time period, for the icy belt to be parked that early in the show, either it's strategic or it's being cautious. This match, when it, it kicks off, like it's, it's interesting the, the different stages of it. When you look at these two guys, and Brett talks about this in the book as well, these are two guys who are so evenly matched in terms of their look, in terms of their size, I should say. Their their wrestling ability and just, I can't, I'm not going to say they're on the same level of promos because Brett isn't there yet on his promos. He probably doesn't reach his best level of promos for many years, but Mr. Perfect was clearly heading above. But I guess the look in terms of, you know, these are mid, mid-sized guys with extraordinary wrestling ability going at each other. Quick note, when you come into the match, you'll notice really early on, Mr. Perfect has definitely gained more weight. He's definitely a little bit heavier. This ties in also to it's mentioned on commentary. The commentary for this match is fantastic. This is an interesting combination. It's Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby, the brain Heenan and Roddy Piper. Bobby Heenan's very, it's great that he is in this is is working this match because he used to manage Mr. Perfect. He gave up those ability, uh, those managerial capabilities in, in 91 so that he could become a commentator full time. The coach, not the biggest fan of the coach. The coach is now Mr. Perfect's manager. I think then when you look at Roddy Piper, Roddy Piper on the flip side is also a really good pick because now you have a face color commentator to oppose Bobby Heenan. Gorilla's in the middle trying to kind of mediate this feud between the two of them. But Roddy's also got background with Brett. So like, you know, he, he there's a good rooting interest for both parties in particular from the commentators. You hear Piper say, oh, Piper, or he says, "Uh, Mr. Perfect's coming in a little bit heavier. He tries to play it off that he's doing a little bit more with the weights. Well, I should take it back. He probably did wrestle. He wrestled. He was definitely on some TV working some house shows. One thing of note is during that time period leading up to SummerSlam 91, Perfect did not use the Perfect Plex because of his back. He was winning a lot of matches just by throwing this guy out of the ring, almost berserker style, like winning it by count out, like, oh, this guy's a piece of crap. He has no business being in the ring with me, and he just discards him. He's coming into this match heavier, but to be honest, when you watch him, like he puts up an incredible effort. Brett also writes in the book that he did a lot to try and make, him, make himself as light as possible, and you'll notice that with some of the slams. There's one slam in particular where Mr. Perfect grabs Bret Hart by the hair, and he Slams him by his hair. It's a great. It's a great push-off by Brett though Brett does a lot to take the bump and make it look like perfect is really strong when it's actually Brett doing a lot of the work and that's the case throughout the whole match The first stage of the match is Brett really asserting himself Like Brett goes out of his way to demonstrate through very aggressive headlock takedowns a lot of different mat wrestling capabilities That this guy not, this guy is not Ray Trailer. He's not the big boss man. He's not the Texas Tornado. This guy is evenly matched with Perfect when it comes to mat wrestling capabilities. And it kind of culminates when Brett, I guess they call it an uppercut, he knocks Perfect out of the ring. And you can see Perfect, like, and it's interesting to tell when he's selling and when he's, his back is really hurt. But he decides he's going to do the old heel strategy. Ah, We're just going to leave the match.
0: Perfect's one to go back! That's all right, that's all right, you don't lose the belt that way, that's all right. Well, oh, he might have hurt his back on that move. <laughs> Whoa! Well, Hitman's literally pulling him apart here, got him back inside. Does Hitman want it, or does he want it bad? He wants it, he knows the title can only change hands on a pitfall or submission. He
1: needs to go up the rampway, and Brett goes out there because of course, You can't win the belt without, you can't win the belt by counter or DQ. you got to get him back in the ring. He goes out there, and he grabs Mr. Perfect, and he grabs him so forcefully that he ends up tearing Mr. Perfect's singlet, and he tosses him back in the ring, and it's this really incredible moment that, I don't know if it was necessarily planned or if it had to do with, you know, it was was running a little bit tighter because of uh, Mr. Perfect's weight gain, but tearing it is this really awesome visual moment because you couple that with the weight gain his hair is just all over the place mr perfect looks disheveled and it looks like it's finally like it's finally happening where he's not the guy he once was and that this may be that swan song for him the match continues on brett's got this upper hand but just like it and I should say, when he's got the upper hand, you're seeing him break out all the signatures. You're going to see him break out for years now, for years beyond this to come. His backbreaker, his Russian leg sweep, his second rope elbow. You're seeing him really work these moves, and it's like, wow, this guy's really cool. And I think it's worth pointing out, like, Bret Hart's look, like, he had a great look. You know, with that, with that, that, that slick back hair... That was a little bit longer and it was you know he had the glasses, he had that that pink and black singlet. like he just looked like a guy like yeah, this this is my guy. If Hogan's on the way out, like who are you looking to, this guy he should, there was just something about Brett. the way he would the way he would work a match with his moves, he just had this look of being it was just very authentic. It looked very crisp, it looked very real. You've heard that a lot over the years. that's not it's not unique to say that. But as the match goes on, Brett does the inevitable, you see this happen in matches, whether it's the face or the heel, they quote-unquote slip on the banana peel. And that's when Mr. Perfect takes over. And when Mr. Perfect takes over, it's really cool because despite his back injury, he really does break out a lot of his great signatures as well. And you see him wear down Brett to the point where it's time to go for the perfect plaques. And it's significant because we hadn't really seen him do this for a while. We may not have even think about it for a bit, but it really is. Like he hadn't done it for a while. And you can see he barely is able to get bread over. Like Brett does his best to help, but it's it's a it's it's a perfect plex that he barely gets bread over. And every other time he's knocked he's put somebody in that perfect plex, it's a one, two, three, and the match is over. But not this time.
0: taking it to the Here comes now! Perhaps we'll see that perfect plex! He's got him set up for it! Perfect will be in the showers in 10 minutes. Oh, no, no! Has he got the fingers left? No, he got I can't believe
1: that! Nobody's ever kicked out of that!
0: He kicked out!
1: Come on, Brett win. kicks out at two, and it is an incredible pop from the crowd. Because it's not something you're expecting. Because it's not something you saw happen a lot back then was... Uh, a finisher get... Uh, somebody kick out of the other guy's finisher. And... When he does this, you can tell this is gonna be a different kind of match. There's something else coming at the end here. And as Brett starts to make his comeback, again, like he starts wearing down. He's starting to set up perfect for the sharp for the sharpshooter. But at the same time, perfect is so good that like he he is still he is fighting his way back through this to where it's like, uh oh, well then what is gonna happen? What is gonna happen here at the end with this? Because We thought, you know, with the kick out from the Sharpshooter, or I'm sorry, the kick out from the Perfect plex, like, oh, Brett's going to win this. But then it's not so sure because by the end of it, you see Perfect getting a roll up on him, the coach is getting involved. It's like, uh uh-oh, he may steal this. And then there's this really interesting moment here at the end. We're in our third stage. The crowd starts chanting, let's go Brett. Let's go Brett. Let's go Brett. This match goes around 20 minutes or so. And right here at the end is when they start doing the chant. I almost wonder if they, they they couldn't figure out what to chant because when a guy's name is Bret Hart, it's not the easiest name to chant. So by the end of it, they get the chant going. Perfect has Brett on his back. He's grabbed his legs. He's standing over him, and it looks like he's going to do just a, a low blow, except it's not your classic low blow. It's a sneaky one. He lifts his leg up. He perfect lifts his own leg up, and he drops, almost like a leg drop, between Brett's legs, and the heel goes into like the chest area. Well, the ref is trying to say, "Hey, that's a low blow," and Perfect's like, "Nah, nah, man, my heel is going into his chest, which it is, but the rest of his leg is dropping right between his legs." He does this a couple times, so the crowd is getting the chant going more and more. Let's go, Brett! Let's go, Brett! And then the third time he goes for it, Brett catches his leg, and Perfect kind of helps him, but still, he crosses the legs, and you're like, what's he doing? And then the announcers cue in on it, the uh, the crowd cues in on it.
0: Nice block there that move. Oh, he's got that hole half applied on the canvas. He's turning him over. Beautiful counter! Oh, yeah. The sharpshooter! He's got it! He's got it! No! Please.
1: Shooter from his back. It's so cool because we hadn't seen this move very often yet. This is almost something you would see years down the road, but this is so clever. Bret Hart is applying the hold on the canvas and he's able to turn perfect over and he cranks back and like right as he cranks back, Hebner brings the bell. Perfect submits. It's a new Intercontinental Champion. The crowd explodes. And of course, Brett's music of the time period. This was my favorite incarnation of the Brett music. I know later on they would get a better version of it, you know, a little bit more high-quality version with the guitar. But I always like this kind of grungy, down and dirty version of the of the Hart Foundation or Brett Hart theme. And the crowd goes nuts. He hands him the title belt. You see Mr. Perfect walk by him, and Brett strips the rest of the singlet off as Mr. Perfect and Jess's trunks falls to the outside. And you see Brett Hold up that Intercontinental title. He's got Mr. Perfect singlet over his shoulder. I didn't know until I read Bet's, Brett's book that that was something Perfect called on the fly. And he thought it would be a cool way to kind of show that real changing of the guard. It's almost like it was this trophy that Brett was taking and and t- defeating Mr. Perfect. It's such a cool moment because it really is like, yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy. The crowd is letting him know it. Probably, like, you know, it's hard to say because there are a few more matches on the card that are going to get big pops, but the crowd is really into this. They're so into this, seeing Brett, he gives that IC belt the big old kiss, and then he walks up there, you see him hug his parents, you know, hug his family up there, and pretty much at this point now, we're off to the races. So, let's get into the aftermath of this, because this is what's really interesting for, let's start with Mr. Perfect. This is kind of a swan song for him in a way. I'm not gonna. It's not, obviously not the end of end of Mr. Perfect's career or Kurt Henning's career, but for the time period, it is. For the time being, it is. The back injuries were enough to sideline Mr. Perfect for a while. Now, he would transition into being a, a good, a solid color commentator, a heel manager with Mr. Or with uh, Rick Flair when he came in. He would come back into wrestling a few years later. I know some people say they consider the match that he has with Brett at King of the Ring in 93 to be better. Um, you know, that's... The reason I don't agree with that is, like, it's it's a match that's just tucked into the, the tournament. There's not... The, the stakes aren't incredible for it. I think the stakes being for the Intercontinental title here raise it a little bit above. Again, it's all debatable. Like, they had great chemistry. They probably, on Hell Shows had even better matches than both of those, to be honest. But... Perfect would have a career. We know he would transition later to being a face. He would wrestle Lex Luger. He would go back to being a heel. He'd eventually go to the WCW and uh, work through the NWO there. He would appear again briefly in a really great surprise appearance with WWF at WrestleMania X8 when he's one of the Final Four in the Royal Rumble. So his career does go on. I think, though, this is pretty much the end of like peak Mr. Perfect, really. For Bret Hart, this is the beginning of his run. Because once he gets this IC title, he's going to take command of this division, and it really redefines what the Intercontinental Division is. It really is this place where the up-and-coming wrestlers really are coming to thrive. And not only up-and-coming wrestlers, like great workhorse wrestlers, really truly. It's no offense because before Mr. Perfect, you had guys like the Ultimate Warrior, Honky Tonk Man, you know, Texas Tornado, guys that weren't like going to become like mainstay workhorses for the group, for the WWF. But it sets an emotion of course his eventual WWF title win. It's just it's a win that is very significant for him. And the fact that it comes in a match that's a really, really great wrestling match, I think it, it's 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 all the better for him. So I think Brett, when you when you go through his book and like, you know, his book is it's it's a bitter read, you know, to be honest. It's a very bitter read because at a t- at that time period, like he wasn't the happiest with where things were for him in the wrestling business, but this this does get some this does get some pretty good high marks for him. Uh, I think this was a good one for me to start with for a perfect ten, and definitely in terms of not just the match but where it, where, where where it really sends these guys. I think it's one of Mister Perfect's best matches, and funny enough, it's one of his his last in that run there for a time for a bit. But uh, I think it's. Really, I'll just turn it over to you guys. Let me know what you think. Tweet me at WilliamRinkin83. You can tweet at the podcast at New Blood Pod. We're going to have some more of these coming down the pipe, so um, definitely be on the lookout for some more Perfect 10 matches that we're going to be talking about. Definitely go to iTunes. Leave a, leave a review. Subscribe. Let us know. Rate. Let us know what you think of the show. Drop some of your Perfect 10s in there as well. Until then, we'll see you guys next time on the New Blood Rising podcast. Thanks very much for hitting the download. We'll see you later.